All right. Hey, so it's not a Tuesday, but it's a Stephen Lassen. I don't even know what day this is going to come out here, but uh, man, holiday season. Stephen's so busy. I was busy, so we're fitting this in when we can. Senior editor, Athlon Sports. Stephen, thank you so much for joining the show. How how you doing, my friend? Hey, Mike. It's great to be on the show. I appreciate the uh, the off week last Monday, as both of us are juggling a very crazy and busy time, but. Excited to get into bowl season. Uh, transfers going on as well. So uh, I guess never a dull moment in the world of the SEC right now. Right. And, and Lane Kiffin, he just said it. You know, th- this silly, stupid sport that we love, Stephen, they've gotten even crazier here in the, in the recent seasons. We're putting free agency before the season's even done. The only sport in the world that would be foolish enough to, to attempt this, yet, yet we're diving full in here. Uh, so we are going to talk a lot of the bowls, but f- fans, Stephen, are just in an uproar over all this free agency and the portal and everything like that. And it's already got me looking ahead to preseason top 10 of next season. So we're going to talk about all that before we get into uh, the bowl previews. But I have to start. If we're talking portal, we got to talk about the portal king, Lane Kiffin, and Ole Miss. And just, I'm going to do a rundown, Stephen. I know you've been busy. You may have missed one or two of these. <laughs> Walter Dolan, of course, elite uh, defensive lineman from uh, Texas A&M. Juice Wells, receiver from South Carolina. De- uh, uh Richardson from Mississippi State, a standout corner. Princely from uh, Florida, defensive end. Tyler Barron, another defensive end from Tennessee. Chris Paul from Arkansas. Keith Lawrence from Oklahoma. To Marion McDonald, a defensive back from Tennessee, and I'm probably missing a couple more, Stephen. But uh, just thoughts when you hear all these names now part of uh, the collection of talent that they have to work with in Oxford, and that is with virtually, I don't want to say everybody, but several, several, several key contributors off the 10 win, which may be 11 win here in a couple days, 10 win Ole Miss returning adding all this talent, what what comes to mind when you think of Ole Miss looking ahead to 2024? I think two things come to mind right away. I think you're looking at a top six to eight preseason team next year. I think you're also looking at a team and that sees an opportunity in 2024 because with the 12-team playoff and with the SEC doing away with divisions, the path to get to the college football playoff is wide open for Ole Miss. You know, in theory, they could go 10 and 2 and still be a, a playoff team that is very dangerous because of where they are seated and the talent level that they have. So I think Ole Miss sees the door open and they're going for it. They're going all in on improving the biggest weakness that this team has. I mean, guys like Walter Nolan, Tyler Barron, um, you know, you, you ran down the list there. Every position need that they have, they've sort of met it. And you start thinking about next season with Jackson Dart, Quinchad Judkins, next year probably being their last in Oxford, it gets back at the idea that, hey, the door is open for a run here. And then that could lead to some return on investment. If you're willing to go all in and it works out for Ole Miss in 2024, where maybe they make the playoff, maybe they win a couple games, that only helps them in 2025 and 2026 be able to sell uh, even more what 
they can do in this kind of portal era. So I love what Ole Miss is doing. The opportunity is there with the new setup, and I think they are executing that strategy well, realizing that, hey, the door is open and we have to capitalize on it, and I think that's that's exactly what they're doing. Right, and a lot of the similar things could be said about the Missouri Tigers, Stephen. Some of the pieces they've added via the transfer portal, Caden Green from Oklahoma, standout freshman offensive lineman, uh, Toriano Pride, a corner from Clemson, Marcus Carroll, running back from Georgia State, Chris McClellan, they just added defensive lineman from Florida, very productive player, Corey Flagg, linebacker from Miami, and Darius Smith, a linebacker from Georgia. Steven, and, and kind of, I kind of wanted to rope those two together, Stephen, because it goes with what you're saying, 12-team playoff, new-look SEC, Unfortunately, we've lost a power conference, so it's you know it's really power four, however you want to say it or look at it. Some people are saying power two, uh, but it, it, that it just kind of opens the door even more. Maybe bad for college football as overall, but good for the SEC. If you're top three, top four, maybe even top five in the SEC, you are going to be in that playoff contention annually. And, and here's the thing: I, I don't know if you caught this, Stephen. Uh, Braden Gall, he and I kind of got, we've been going at it on, on our show here, but basically the way Braden looks at it, and, and I don't fault him because this is the way, you know, there's data for everything he's saying, but it, but it's all about how much talent you have, recruiting, you got to be in the top four or five, whatever he says it is, in the four-team era. Well, that's great. But next year, Stephen, I think all that data, we throw it in the trash because we're in a 12-team format now the conferences are different the teams are different I think Missouri and Ole Miss are looking at this just like he said this this is an opportunity we're not built like Bama we're not built like Georgia we're we're built differently and we're utilizing this this new format this new system looking at where we can take advantage where we are deficient adding via the transfer portal free agency whatever you want to call it and capitalizing on on this new era and, and I think it's good for the sport that we're going to have Mizzou and, and Ole Miss coming into a season saying, hey, we can make the playoff. Those those fan bases, if they said that last offseason, Stephen, we would have laughed at them. But but now it's it's reality in, in my mind. It, it absolutely is. I think, first of all, I love what Missouri is doing because it's sort of building on what they did this year. You know, we, we came into the season – wondering where sort of the Eli Drinkowitz tenure was going because he hadn't had a winning season, not necessarily on the hot seat, but things were going to get warm if they didn't make a big step forward this year. Well, all they, all they did was, you know, have one of the best seasons recently in school history. They're going to play in the cotton bowl, but to go out and get this transfer class to supplement what they have coming back next year, just like you and I talked about a few weeks ago, filling those needs on the defensive front were huge, but also Caden Green along the offensive line. There are not many high-caliber offensive linemen in the portal, so to land one of those guys and build on that with also your recruiting class, I I think the momentum at Missouri right now, whether or not you believe it's a thing, it's going really well. And and so I, I love the fact that they're building off of that. But like Ole Miss as well, they are capitalizing on the window of opportunity. You have a good thing going, go all in on transfers, go in on NIL for freshmen, and sort of this is how you close the gap 
to make the college football playoff. I think on the data conversation around recruiting rankings, I think it will hold true for the champion. But where I think those numbers are probably going to have more variation is where teams like Missouri, teams like Ole Miss, if you use the portal well, you can fill all of your needs. And all of a sudden, instead of being like the 25th best roster, you're probably a lot closer to 10. That's going to be a little hard for us, I think, to decipher. I don't think the playoff necessarily changes who the champion is. Like, I think Alabama and Georgia are probably going to dominate this playoff in the next couple of years. But I think the opportunity is there for the transfer class to, to boost the overall talent of these teams like Ole Miss and Missouri. And that's why I love what they're doing, uh, sort of realizing that window of opportunity is there. So they have to go go out there and get it in this new era. Um, and that's what they're, exactly what they're doing via the transfer portal. Well, Stephen, I have you on this show because I value your opinion. You're a smart guy. You, you, you think with the, the numbers, you're like – you're like uh, the house, you know, when they say never bet against the house, whereas I'm more of the degenerate gambler in there. Roll, <laughs> all I got is the mortgage, and I'm rolling the dice, Stephen. <laughs> that old Miss, that that Missouri can win a national championship. And again, I, I get it. I understand why Alabama and, and Georgia are going to be favored and Texas and, and all these teams, but I, I just think it would be good for the sport. And, and again, we've never done a 12-team format, so – until we see it, we don't truly have data on how any of this is going to play out. And and going into that no man's land it is kind of what fascinates me so much. Going into a new look SEC and a new look college football playoff. Cannot wait to see how that, that comes about. But another team I wanted to ask you about, Steve, they're, they're like an ultimate wild card here. They're, they're kind of half in. Half, I don't want to say half out, but Kentucky. Because... They're a developmental program. That's what they, you know, they bring in these guys that that maybe Tennessee didn't want or Ohio State didn't want or Michigan didn't want or maybe just, just missed the cut. I'm not saying they're, they're awful players or anything, but then they develop in this system and then they're star defenders, you know, or, or star running backs, what have you, at, at Kentucky. But now, because of this free agency, they're, they're looking at it the same way, Stephen. We need a quarterback. We need a linebacker. We need a receiver. We need a running back. Let's go get these pieces, put them together, and, and I, I like it. I, it. It's not conservative. It, it, they're swinging for the fences with a guy like Brock Vandegrift, uh, Jamon Dumas-Johnson. Uh, that's not a swing for the fence. He's a hell of a player. Uh, Jamori Macklin, North Texas, Jalen Farmer, defensive lineman from Florida. They added the running back from Ohio State. Uh, what, what are your thoughts on what Kentucky is doing and if they hit on some of these, particularly Brock Vandegrift, he's he's obviously crucial to the whole thing. But if let's say they hit on him and he's a top, uh, you know, sixteen team conference. Let's say he's a top six quarterback, which I don't think anyone thinks he is right now. But I think we all realize he's got the potential and the talent to to hopefully get there. If you're a Kentucky fan, if if he lives up to that five star billing. How how improved can Kentucky be next season? I think, well, I guess I should say, I, I hate to sound like a broken record, but I really like what Kentucky is doing. I think you have, if the most important position on the field is quarterback. And through the portal, there's over 100 quarterbacks in the portal from the FBS level. So go out and get one. And Kentucky didn't, wasn't conservative at all. They're just swinging for the fences with Vandergrift. If it works out really well, they could certainly be in the in the twelve team uh, playoff next year. You know they they have with, with if 
if a five-star quarterback ends up working out, they could certainly be in that um, in that conversation. But also the downside of it, he's an unknown player. What if it doesn't work out? Do you have another option that you could go to? I think this also gets at kind of the the good and the bad of the portal is it's really hard, I think, to build your offensive and defensive lines through the portal. You can add a piece or two here. I think you can add skill talent, quarterbacks, some individual pieces here and there, but I think you want to sort of build your roster at home and then supplement it here and there through the portal. Ole Miss is kind of a separate situation because they're just basically they got like the 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 Shone Otani money throwing it out there at the <laughs> at the uh, the defenders in the portal trying to to quickly microwave an effective defense. But I think for Kentucky, this is a really solid class so far. They've got their starting running back. I like Jamori Macklin, the transfer from North Texas. He is a big play threat on the outside, and the really the key to it all is Vandegrift. If he is good, they will be in the top 25. If not, they're probably going to be looking at another transfer quarterback next season. Mm -hmm. And then here comes Darth Vader, Stephen, the Georgia Bulldogs. They look here, Christmas Eve, they got their gift early. Trevor Etienne, one of the most explosive backs in the SEC. Georgia's had some solid backs here lately, but they've not had this home run hitter that, that, that I believe they're getting in Trevor Etienne. They also added a uh, a receiver that I think will fit right in nicely in that system, Colby Young from Miami. Uh, what, what was your reaction, Trevor Etienne, to, to Georgia? It's a huge get uh, for Georgia, to, to put it mildly. Um, when you and I talked about transfer needs a few weeks ago, it was uh, kind of with Georgia, you knew they were going to be very selective. It was going to be like high profile, like Ferraris that they were going to go out and bring into the team <laughs> next year. They weren't just going to go out and get 20 players. ETN is a difference maker, though. I think with more opportunities, he is going to thrive at, at Georgia. Obviously, he was great at, at Florida. Um, but as far as home run hit, hitting ability, difference maker in the backfield, reloading um, Georgia's offense next year with the two receivers coming in, ETN helping out at running back, a position that they've had talent but they've had a lot of injuries the last couple years so i love this pickup um for georgia hate to sound like a broken record but i think you know something going right for the bulldogs uh we haven't heard that (laughs) very often recently right and i'm already looking ahead Stephen, to you know a a projected preseason rankings for 2024 and i I threw it out there Stephen. i think obviously and, and you hit it on it yourself georgia alabama texas if they're not in your, you know, barring some some mass exodus that that we don't foresee happening, I mean, if those three are not in your top ten, then your, your list is probably invalid. Uh, I think Ole Miss is, is firmly in that mix now with all this uh, additions via the transfer portal. I think Missouri and LSU, maybe not top ten, but just just outside, maybe the top thirteen, something like that. And then I've also got from the SEC, Stephen, I'm putting this in the 15 to 30 range, Tennessee, Oklahoma, Auburn, Kentucky, and Texas A&M. Uh, th- thoughts on any of those, and any any that I omitted, um, and any that you would you have a differing view on at, at this point in time? You know, I think LSU has been a little quiet in the transfer portal. I like the, the pickups that they've had at receiver and defensive back so far. But they haven't had a, I guess, 
marquee pickup, so to speak. I mean, Xavion Thomas is going to be a great fit at receiver, and they needed help at defensive back. But I thought they might be a little bit more active. But also they were active last year in the transfer portal at cornerback and, and safety, and it, it didn't really work out. So interesting roster um, management for, for LSU. Uh, it, it'll be interesting to see how that works for LSU with Garrett Nussmeyer stepping in at quarterback. They're sort of the wild card for me right now trying to figure out next season. But in the big picture, I think next season, Georgia, Alabama, Texas, all top five teams. I like Ole Miss right there too. I think top six, seven, eight. I think that next tier is going to be kind of where you're going to see a lot of variance because I think Oklahoma will get a good look at Jackson Arnold in the bowl game. I'll be curious to see how he looks. What does that do for preseason expectations at Oklahoma? I like Mike Elko at Texas A&M. You know, I think the schedule's pretty favorable with Connor Wigman coming back next year. They could be a top 25 team. So there's a there's a lot of teams here in the SEC that are going to be ranked in the top 25. Several of these are going to be making the college football playoff. I think just on paper here, I think the other thing that stands out to me We'll see what happens at Arkansas um, with how the new offense looks. Vanderbilt's obviously in rebuild mode. I don't know about you, Mike. I don't see a ton of easy outs here in the SEC. I think Mississippi State <laughs> will be better, too, under Jeff Lebby. Um, this is going to be a brutal conference. Uh, it's going to beat up on itself. I, I don't. Maybe I'm, maybe I'm too optimistic here. What do you think? <laughs> no, no, it's going to be a bloodbath, Steve, yeah. and that's why I'm throwing them all in there in, in the top 30 type range almost and, and just let, you know, it's going to be a battle of uh, uh, just just juggernauts going going head to head and it and it will be survival of the fittest in the SEC next season and, and moving forward. I think, I think as, I, I mean, all these teams, it just looks like a, so many of them are getting better and better and better. And, and that means teams are inevitably going to underperform and disappoint and uh and there's gonna be teams that surprise too steven you know so uh not many people very very few had mizzou winning 10 games this year most people looked at old miss schedule and said my my word they can't win 10 they, get, they gotta go to georgia to bama that's automatic too lot well they were kind of right about that but they won the rest of them so uh yeah i, I mean it's it's a battle royale for sure is it, it are there any other teams or any other pickups via the transfer portal that uh, I, I know you've been kind of MIA a little bit, so you, so you may have not caught everything, but any, any at all stand up to stand out to, to maybe a, a team or a player really, really big impact here via the portal. A couple um, pickups for Tennessee caught my attention. Um, I like Chris Brazel, the receiver from Tulane. Um, he had a really nice year this season. Tulane, they had a they had a good they had a good quarterback uh, in Michael Pratt. I think not not a scheme that throws the ball as frequently as Tennessee will. So I think he could probably be deployed more in the passing game at Tennessee. Also, I like Jermon McCoy, the corner that they got from Oregon State. I, I think anytime you can get a proven starter at corner with some experience, and especially in this era of the portal where guys that are corners linemen are hard to find. I think that's a good pickup um, for Tennessee. And I know we talked about this a few weeks ago too, but I'm really intrigued by the Taylor green pickup for Arkansas, especially now um, with KJ Jefferson entering the transfer portal. Taylor green's got some interesting uh, skill sets uh, as far as his mobility, his arm, 
He could be a little inconsistent at times as a passer, but I also look at what Bobby Petrino did for Jalen Henderson at Texas A&M this year, and I could see some similarities there. So I think in our sort of big picture discussion here, like Arkansas feels very much like a wild card to me, and I think Taylor Green could kind of kind of dictate where the season goes too. So I'll be curious to see how that works out. Love what South Carolina uh, is doing too. Just the the bulk of transfers. They've solidified the running back position. Uh, getting Rocket Sanders and getting him healthy will probably be a big deal for that uh, South Carolina offense next year. Mm-hmm. Uh, all right. Well, Stephen, I mean, I it's just so weird that we we've, we've talked all this and we're looking ahead to next season. We still got <laughs> uh, the full slate of SEC bowl action here, a, a number of bowl games to look forward to. And uh, if you don't mind, Stephen, I, I wanted to just jump ahead and start with the playoff matchups because those are the ones obviously people care about the most. And uh, let's let's start with the Rose Bowl, Alabama, Michigan. And uh, Stephen, I, I don't know. I mean, you, you're much more well-versed in the Wolverines than I am, but I, I've gone and watched a couple of their games, Penn State, Ohio State, and I'm just sitting here trying to – I'm scratching my head saying, where are all these athletes at? Where I, it looks like uh, bully ball, which I get, you know, that's the style you got to play up there. But uh, the quarterback McCarthy, I think, I believe he's got one touchdown in his last five games. I'm looking at Jalen Milrose, got 17 touchdowns since November. I'm looking at Nick Saban with a 10 and one record when he's got a month prepared for a football game. And I'm looking at Jim Harbaugh's one and six bowl record, including six losses in a row. Why in the world's Michigan favorite in this game, Steve? <laughs> That's my question too. I, I've been trying to figure that out since the the bowl matchups were announced. Uh, honestly, I thought at some point Alabama would just be favored. Um, the line would would eventually swing to maybe Alabama being a point or two favorite um, by kickoff, and it, and maybe it gets there. I think it's fair to say that this is not Nick Saban's best team at Alabama. This is also a Michigan team that has been to the playoff now. Uh, for a couple years in a row, they got destroyed by Georgia. They got upset by TCU last year. I think they probably took TCU too lightly. I don't think they'll do that again. But this Michigan team is loaded with seniors, guys who have been to the playoff the last couple years. They have also used the portal very effectively. But to your point, when I start studying this matchup, Michigan matches up well in the trenches. They are built offensive defensive line they love to run the ball behind Blake Corum and Donovan Edwards their two running backs JJ McCarthy though is the wild card like you know he the question for me and for Michigan in this game is he's mobile there's no doubt about it he's going to make some plays on the edge he's going to be able to move around in the pocket in the passing game though when Michigan needs to make a play can those receivers win one-on-ones against Alabama's uh, secondary. And I think that's a real question because, you know, a lot of sites have done some anonymous coach scouting leading up to this matchup. And one of the things that stands out is, can the Michigan receivers win one-on-ones against Alabama? I think it's a fair question. They struggled in the Big Ten championship game against Iowa. They struggled against Ohio State. You know, you mentioned the stat about how the passing game for Michigan has struggled down the stretch. Also, as good as Michigan's offensive line was, if you go back and watch the Penn State game, they stopped passing the ball because they could not block Penn State's defensive front. So Dallas Turner, Chris Braswell are going to be major factors in this game. So 
I think the key to me, if I'm watching this game on January 1st, if Michigan is in third and three, third and two, short yardage, that's winning formula for Michigan. If it's third and seven, third and eight, Alabama's going to win this game. So I think it's key here. If Alabama holds the, the trenches, if they shut down, uh, win those one-on-ones in the secondary, I think Michigan's going to have a hard time moving the ball. Also, the ultimate X factor here is Jalen Milrow. Michigan hasn't played a quarterback that's as dynamic as him, and that's why I think Michigan's going to be. Uh, I think Michigan's going to be in real trouble uh, on January first. Right, and uh, you know, maybe in fairness to the Michigan quarterback JJ McCarthy, there there is a lot of speculation that he's been injured the last month. So so maybe that you know that needs to be said as well. He'll have obviously a you know several weeks here to rest. I don't know if it's the right word, but but heal up. Um, but uh, let me ask you this, Stephen. Let's let's project ahead. Let's let's just say that Michigan wins by a slim margin. Will that will that be? Do you think the narrative will it be because Michigan came out and and took it took it to Alabama, or do you think it's it'll be man Alabama really screwed up to allow this to happen? You know, maybe turnovers or lack of execution in the red zone, what have you. What what do you think will be the reason if Michigan were to win by a slim margin? It's a good question. I think one other thing I think we should mention on Michigan is you're right about J.J. McCarthy. He has been hurt down the stretch. They also lost one of their best offensive linemen, if not the best offensive lineman, in Zach Zinter against Ohio State. So they already had trouble pass blocking. And they already lost one of their best offensive linemen. So that will be interesting to see over the over this month period. How have they shuffled, have figured out the offensive line? But I think that also gets at the formula here for Michigan. If to me, if Michigan wins this game, it's they took it to Alabama. They won the battle in the trenches. McCarthy outdueled Jalen Milrow. And I think in tandem with that, if you're Michigan, if you can kind of contain Jalen Milrow and force him on third and six, third and seven, even though I think he's made significant strides as a passer this season, where you want to beat him is make him be a pocket passer. And I think that's how Michigan wins. I think Michigan's defense is is good. I think that there are some vulnerabilities maybe in the secondary they could take advantage of for if you're uh, Jermaine Burton and Isaiah Bond and some of these other Alabama receivers. But to me, in a game like this where it's two teams that's probably going to be lower scoring, probably a little bit more defensive oriented, it's line of scrimmage, it's a mistake or two by a turnover, an interception, and it's also just trying to stay in third and manageable situations in which team and which defense can sort of make the other quarterback consistently execute in those situations. Mm-hmm. And, and- do you have any thoughts at all, Stephen, on, uh, well, multiple things going on here, but I, but obviously Jim Harbaugh's been suspended, what, six games this year? Yeah. <laughs> you know, you know the drama with that, and now leading up to this bowl game, apparently there's reports where he's been offered like a 10-year, $100 million contract. He won't sign it. There's a, there's apparently, again, I don't know if this is true, but I think it was Adam Schefter that, that shared this, said something to the effect of, there's a clause in it. You cannot leave for the NFL, what have you. Maybe that's a holdup. So, again, there's drama 
We're going in, Stephen, this is a team competing for a national championship, and they can't get a commitment, apparently, from their coach, whether he's going to be there a, a month from now. Um, do, do you think that hinders Michigan at all, or is it just because their coach has been suspended six games because of this sign-stealing stuff, maybe this, maybe they're just used to it by now. Is, is there any psychological edge here or, or, or anything to that effect that could hurt Michigan in this one? It's a great question. I don't think so. Um, I think it's been kind of Michigan against the world the last you know couple, couple weeks of the regular season and leading up to that. Um, you know, we we we're talking here is like why is Alabama not favored? Like, if I'm Michigan, hey, we're the number one team. We're being disrespected. We've been disrespected all season. Our head coach has been suspended six games. There's this whole sign stealing scandal that. Some people think is the only reason why Michigan is good. So I think they have used that to their advantage and they're going to continue to do that because probably Alabama is probably going to be favored by the media and media picks. And there's this Michigan versus the world angle that they're able to, to play. And I think Harbaugh being on the sidelines for this game will help them. Um, you know, Sharon Moore, who was their interim coach did a nice job. You could also look at it as, Three of their worst offensive performances came in the games where uh, Harbaugh wasn't on the sidelines, but it was also their best defenses when they played Penn State, Ohio State. So there's some there's some variables here that's hard to decipher, but I think Michigan, from a focus standpoint, ought to be using the fact that last year they showed up kind of, I thought, took TCU too lightly, and now they're motivated with all this stuff going on. I I, I don't I think they'll be ready for this one. I don't think there'll be any distractions regardless of whether Los Angeles chargers head coach, Jim Harbaugh is you know, just <laughs> thinking about his next contract or not. And then on the flip side, Steven, I'll, I'll share a quick story that I heard recently in Nick Saban. They're, they're he's so successful in these types of bowls. You think of Nick Saban, you think a hard edge, you know, it's football 24 seven. If he's not coaching, he's recruiting. He doesn't care about anything else. I I've heard it's complete opposite. Like he he fully embraces all these bowl activities. They go, they they enjoy themselves. He's all about the trip, having fun with his players. I've even told Stephen that he keeps the curfew at at bowl trips three a.m., which is a lot later than most coaches. And this is a direct quote I got, Stephen. Nick Saban says, if you can't get laid by 3 a.m., it ain't going to happen for you. So that that's just, I mean, it's a completely different end of the spectrum. Maybe that's why Alabama's so good. I don't know. I've just shared what I've been told. But, Stephen, how about uh, Texas, Washington in the Sugar Bowl? Um, I, I've not gotten to watch a lot of Washington this year. The last couple, uh, you know, Christmas break, I've gone back, I've watched I've been wildly impressed. You know, they, they remind me a lot of uh, Tennessee last year. High-flying offense, outstanding quarterback, defense a little suspect, but um, after after studying them up and, and watching them against uh, Oregon twice, Southern Cal, you know, I, I think there's a real chance that Washington, I, I thought Texas would just steamroll them, but I, I'm not so sure about that now. I, th- I think this could be a ball game. Uh, what's your thoughts on Texas and Washington in the Sugar Bowl? I think Washington reminds me a lot of TCU last season and it's not because both teams have purple in their <laughs> uniform color i just think that washington just keeps finding ways to win and it's not always necessarily pretty they've got one of the best offenses in college football with michael Penix, a quarterback 
the receiver, the receiving core, one of the best in the country, one of their best receivers, Jalen McMillan, has been hurt most of the year. So they could be even more dangerous in the bowl game. Offensive line, also one of the best in the country. The defense is, I would say, timely. That's probably the best way to put it. <laughs> they did step up in the second half of the season, especially against Oregon twice, Oregon State, Utah. They made timely stops when they needed to. But of the four teams in the playoff, Washington's defense is by far the weakest group. So I think when you start kind of studying this matchup, it's completely different than the other one. The other Alabama, Michigan is probably going to be, you know, four quarters of physicality, uh, teams beating on each other. This one is probably going to be a lot more high scoring, a lot more uh, back and forth. So, and really, I, I, with the firepower that these two teams have, to me, it's going to look like one or two stops might win this game. Well, who can get a stop in the red zone? Who's better at third downs? Who can get a turnover or two? So this one has got like 38, 34, 41, 38 written all over it. One other factor I, I do wonder about in these playoff games we saw TCU last year, no trouble scoring. We've seen other teams, the layoff doesn't affect them. But Washington's offense, I I wonder of the four teams in the playoff, if the long layoff might hurt them the most just because of the timing and the rhythm of their passing game. I don't think it'll cost them the game. But early on, I'm curious to see if they come out firing on all cylinders or does it take them a quarter or two to sort of um, kind of work their way into the game. But this one... Completely different than the first game. This one's going to be much more high scoring. Yeah, and that's an excellent point, Stephen. I, one I had not even considered. But yeah, if, if it is a high scoring game in the 30s, maybe even the 40s, you know, what have you. If, if your first couple of drives stall, or you you know you get get a field goal here, a field goal there, I mean that's the difference between winning and losing a, a game of this magnitude. So that's certainly something to to keep your eye on. And how about for Texas? I mean. Again, every, everyone, we get enamored with the offense. I think that's only natural. Sarkeesian, Quinn Ewers, all these great receivers. They've got uh, first-round talent on the offensive line for the first time about two decades here in Austin. But uh, going back and watching more closely some of their games, I've been wildly impressed by their, their defensive line in particular. Kind of dominated that Alabama matchup in Tuscaloosa. Several other match They played, uh, you know, arguably – some people have regarded as the top running back in the country in Oklahoma State in a Big 12 title game. They just completely shut him down. So um, how big of a, a, a an edge will that defensive front for the Texas Longhorns be in this matchup? It has to be significant because I think Texas is vulnerable in the secondary. They give up a lot of big plays this year in, the, in, in past defense. Some of that was injuries. They had a lot of injuries at corner and safety, and they were juggling some guys in and out of the lineup. But uh, you know, the Sweat and Murphy combo up front, uh, two guys who just can dominate the line of scrimmage. And it's not, it's not statistical domination sometimes. It's just that they're just so huge, and they can just eat up a lot of space, and they can just generate pressure, which you know, if you start thinking about how this matchup could play out, if they can just kind of – Win the battle up front against a very good Washington offensive line. You start talking about putting a little bit of pressure on Michael Penix, throwing him off his rhythm. Arizona State was effective at doing this too. They got some pressure in that game that was much closer than anyone anticipated earlier this year. So 
I think for Texas, line of scrimmage. Like if you can win on defense, pressure Penix, disrupt the passing game, and on offense, if you give Quinn Ewers time to throw and distribute the ball to all the playmakers that they have, I don't think Washington's defense can slow them down in that regard. And it gets more at our um, kind of earlier point, which is which team is better at converting red zone drives into touchdowns? Texas was terrible at it during the regular season. So if I'm Washington, bend but don't break, make Texas score touchdowns, and 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 if you give up anything, give up a field goal. And that's kind of how this game is probably going to play out. But if you had to give one team an edge on defensive front, defensive personnel, it's Texas, and that might be the difference in a close game. And how about who would you give an edge a month to prepare? Steve Sarkeesian, Calendar Board. I, I didn't realize, Steve, I've you know, been diving into these matchups, but the board, I mean, I think his record against top 25 teams is, is insane. It's like 12 and 1, 11 and 1, something, something like that. And, and I, you know, I realize his track record not nearly as long. So that, that's, that's in part why I, I think people don't know nearly as much. Sarkeesian, of course, been a head coach in the NFL and, and Southern Cal, Washington, many, you know, all over the country, Alabama, OC. So he, it seems like everybody knows about him, knows his strengths, knows his weaknesses. But I, but I think DeBoer is kind of a still somewhat of an unknown, particularly in our part of the country here. But uh, giving these guys a month to prepare, who who would you have more confidence in scheming up a, you know, an A plus game plan that it's going to take to win a game like this? I would take Sarkeesian, but I also don't want to short Kalen DeBoer in that offensive staff because, to your point. You know, whether it's been he's been an offensive coordinator at Fresno State, he's been an offensive coordinator at Indiana, he's been a successful at, you know, coach at Division Two. You know, this guy and this staff, they just keep finding ways to win. And I think both coaches will have um, you know, offensively all some different wrinkles to throw out there, some different looks. If you're probably a fan of like the all twenty-two. Like this is probably going to be like hitting all of your strike zones with the the Sarkeesian and DeBoer <laughs> and the X's and O's battle that these two will have. But I, you know, one of the things I love about Sarkeesian is I love the first couple drives of a game. They always either it's something new, it's something set up, it's the script. They're they're setting something up for later. I think Sarkeesian is one of the best play callers um, in college football. DeBoer and and um, offensive coordinator Ryan Grubb are not far behind, but I would take probably uh, Sarkeesian in this spot. Okay. Well, we also got some uh, tre- tremendous matchups here, Stephen, in, in the uh, New Year's Six. Mizzou, Ohio State. Uh, these Mizzou fans are on cloud nine, Stephen, with, with all the, the hype I've been giving them going into next season. An opportunity to win 11 football games, just remarkable. Ohio State, obviously, without their starting quarterback, he's transferred out already to, to Syracuse, I believe. Uh, th- thoughts on this Cotton Bowl matchup, Mizzou, Ohio State. I think Ohio State opened as a big favorite. That has shifted significantly. Uh, the thoughts on this matchup? I'll start with my prediction. I like Missouri to win. Um, <laughs> I, I think every bowl game is a question of motivation. Like who wants to be there is a significant part of every bowl game. I think Missouri wants to be here. Ohio State just lost to Michigan. Their starting quarterback transferred, albeit the backups are pretty good too. And they still got a lot of good players on defense and offense that are still going to be in this game. But this looks like a game to me where 
Missouri's got more motivation. They're playing pretty much a full strength. They know they're going to be missing a, you know, a couple guys due to injury. But also a lot of guys on this team, a lot of seniors, want to go out on a high note. Like Cody Schrader's not going to be you know, worried about anything else. He's going to try to be winning this game. So I think as good as Ohio State's defense is, Ohio State still having good skill talent, I think Missouri's edge and motivation, roster being at mostly full strength, and sending out guys like Cody Schrader, some other guys on defense, on a high note, I like Missouri to to win this game. I guess it might be a mild upset to some, but I, I think Missouri wins this game. Right, and uh, apologies because I'm just totally unaware, but it, Marvin Harrison, is he playing in this game, do you know? It does not look like it. He has not made an official declaration. Uh, when Ohio State got to uh, Dallas or Arlington, uh, where the stadium is, he was not at the first open practice there. He was off to the side just working out. So my guess is that he's probably not going to play. That'd be my read on the situation. Yeah. And, and if if Mizzou does finish the deal like like you're predicting and they win this, I mean, again, people say these games are meaningless. I, it's you, you can't convince a Missouri fan that this is meaningless and, and this will feed into 2024 and this will cap off one of the best seasons in, in recent uh, history for the program. I mean, this would just be massive for drinking company, don't you think? 100%. I mean, I, you and I talk a lot about proof of concept and sort of motivate, you know, momentum, whether it's a real thing or not. If you just won 10 games in your regular season, you had a good recruiting class, um, the transfer portal continues to go well, you beat Ohio State in the bowl game, and you stack start stacking some 2024 momentum with early top 25s and rankings like everything is is trending up for missouri and beating ohio state can only continue that this is ohio state's a marquee opponent in the cotton bowl i don't care if they have kyle mccord or they're you know who they're starting at quarterback this is still ohio state so for missouri if they can win this game uh, that's a really big deal for this program quick little break from the show to remind you guys we're brought to you by my bookie Head on over to mybookie.ag today and put in that promo code that SEC T H A T S E C over at MyBookie Online Sportsbook. They're willing to give our audience a $200 exclusive cash bonus today to wager on these bowl games. NFL, NFL playoffs will be right around the corner. College football playoffs. All the sports, they got you covered over at mybookie.ag today. And don't forget, most importantly, that promo code, that SEC is the number one way to help support the show this football season. Head on over to mybookie.ag today. Put in that promo code, that SEC, all new users get a free $200 cash bonus just for signing up and using that promo code. We're also brought to you by Prize Picks. Don't forget the Prize Picks. Daily Fantasy Sports, the go-to site for Daily Fantasy Sports is none other than Prize Picks, And with that promo code SEC, they are willing to match your initial deposit up to 100 bucks. So you can have 200 bucks in your Prize Picks account today with that promo code SEC. Help the podcast stay independent. I know football is winding down, but there's still lots of football action to get in on before it all comes to a sad, depressing end. Head on over to Prize Picks promo code SEC and that SEC over at mybookie.ag today. We don't ask for much. We just ask, take advantage of these sponsorship opportunities if you can afford to do it. 
Are you ready to elevate your college football game day experience? Check out Twisted Tea, your go-to game beverage for college football fans. Twisted Tea is unlike any hard beverage you've had before. It's made with real brewed tea and picks a flavorful punch, 5% alcohol, and no carbonation, delivering the perfect balance of taste and refreshment that goes down smooth for every game day occasion. No need to settle for the usual. Twisted Tea turns up any occasion, especially when you're cheering on your favorite SEC team. Twisted Tea, the drink that fuels fun and celebrates your love of college football. Keep it twisted. The podcast is also brought to you by Game Time. Head on over to GameTime.co and use promo code THATSEC for $20 off your first purchase. Buying tickets to your favorite events shouldn't be stressful. Game Time is a fast and easy way to buy tickets for all sports, music, comedy, and theater near you. Game Time is the place for the last-minute ticket sales. Forget planning months in advance. Game Time has deals on tickets right up to the day of the event. Head on over to GameTime.co. Snag tickets without the stress. Download the Game Time app, create an account, and use code that. SEC for 20 bucks off your first purchase. Terms apply. Again, create an account and redeem that SEC for 20 bucks off. Download the Game Time app today. Last minute tickets, lowest price guaranteed. And now back to the show. Right. And then another one, very similar, Stephen, the Peach Bowl, Ole Miss, Penn State, New Year's Six. Again, two, another team, very similar things. We kind of, we opened the show with these two for the same reason. They're Seems like they're paralleling each other. Uh, th- this would be big. Ole Miss never, to my knowledge, has never won 11 games in a football season. That's that's right here for the taking if they could beat Penn State. Uh, thoughts on this matchup? These two teams are pretty similar in the sense that get ready. Whoever wins this game is going to have the offseason hype meter uh, <laughs> only continue to shoot up. I- I'm already on the Ole Miss lane train offseason hype. <laughs> But you can bet Penn State is going to get it in the Big Ten if they win this game. I think this has potential to be one of the better bowl games of the season because you've got the high-powered Ole Miss offense against a very good Penn State defense. Um, Penn State's going to be missing their defensive coordinator, Manny Diaz, who left to be the head coach at Duke. They're missing Chop Robinson, one of their best defensive ends. But they're still very good at the rest of the personnel on defense. So – I just love the the kind of the battle between the the offense versus the defense. Love to see Quinshaw Judkins against this front. And on the, the Penn State side of things, the offense for Penn State was really sluggish in the passing game. It was a combination of play calling, could be a combination of scheme, young receivers, quarterback inconsistency. I thought they were kind of improving later in the season. So I think... I'll be curious to see how this Ole Miss defense, which mostly at full strength against a uh, a Penn State offense that struggled during the regular season. So if Penn State has a really good offensive game here, I think you'd probably be a little bit disappointed if you're, you're Ole Miss giving the, the struggles that Penn State had during the regular season offensively. Right, and you talk about momentum that can be gained here. Also, the... I don't know what the opposite is, but uh, the the lack of faith in the coach that loses this game to win a big game will be there. That that'll be a sentiment all off again with with what 
Lane Kiffin and company have done in the portal. I don't think the fans are necessarily going to hold it against him, but I would certainly be wondering. I'd be like, man, are we ever going to win a big game? That That's just something that enters my mind. Um, another potential, well, it, on paper is a big game, Stephen. I don't know if it is anymore. The Orange Bowl, Georgia, Florida State. I don't know if Florida State even going to have enough players to, to play this, this dang game because they've all opted out. Um, thought, thoughts on this matchup as it's currently constituted? I mean, how how stunning would it be if Florida State were to win this game at this point in time? Pretty stunning. Um, <laughs> if, if you know, I think on paper it sounds great, right? Like Florida State, Georgia, they haven't played in a regular season game in a long time, but they've played in a couple bowl games. It, Florida State's just a shell of who it was a few weeks ago, and even if Florida State was at full strength and they didn't have Jordan Travis and he was the only player missing. I still think Georgia would win this game. Um, you know, for Georgia, it's still some mystery of who exactly is going to be available, but I think the bottom line is this, they have Carson Beck, Florida state has a big question mark at quarterback. So even if Georgia's motivation is a little iffy, um, a shorthanded Florida state team is probably not equipped to win this game. If they do, I think Georgia probably would have spent too much time on South Beach if that if they end up losing this one. <laughs> right. And uh, this is one of those where it's just kind of the unfortunate reality of, of what some of these bowl games and, and, and what they mean to some players and some teams. But I don't know. It's confusing to me, Stephen. I guess, you know, if you're Florida State, I, I get it on, on one sense because I feel like they probably feel like the playoff quit on them or, or something. And they're like, well, hell, I'm not going to play in this game. But – they, I, I was going to, I assume, Stephen, they were going to pull a UCF if they were able to beat Georgia. Hell, that's, and I would have said we went undefeated, Power Five, national champs. But I guess they knew that, uh, you know, this is just further evidence that that UCF claiming that national title was completely bogus. <laughs> no one honored it. But uh, that 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 would have been my rallying cry if I was Mike Norvell. You know what? I would too. If if I was Florida State and I win this game, I'm printing I'm printing the national championship banner, the national championship T-shirts. I'm claiming the national championship. So, um, I don't think they'll be able to do that based upon the personnel they have. But if they do, Florida State, go ahead and print the banner. Yeah. Now, uh, Stephen, a game. I mean, the fans were already excited about it, but now it's reaching a whole new level thanks to news here on on Wednesday morning. Iowa, Tennessee, and the Citrus Bowl, Stephen. Nico era begins in the bowl game, and it's perfect. I mean, wish Joe Milton the best, but I, I clearly the fans were ready to move on. He's got an invite to the Senior Bowl, so he's off to the NFL. Uh, this will be Nico's first start in a bowl game, and, and I, I think this is where we're getting, Stephen, where these games, if they're not playoff games moving forward, they're going to be like, spring games or something. You know what I mean? Like this kind of feels like this is the official start to 2024 for Tennessee, even though it's the end of 2023 thoughts on this matchup, Steven, now that we know Nico is starting at quarterback for Tennessee. I was already, I guess I should say, I always love the citrus bowl because it's usually a pretty good matchup between the big 10 and the sec, but I'm even more intrigued because Nico's <laughs> starting now uh, for Tennessee. I think maybe a good comparison is if you're a fan of an NFL team 
and you have like a rookie quarterback who's going to play like the second quarter and the third quarter of a preseason game, and that's why you tune in and you read entirely too much into the performance one way or the other. That's kind of how like I'm looking at this game and also the Alamo Bowl with Jackson Arnold at Oklahoma. I want to get a good look at these quarterbacks for next season. It's not everything, but if you're Nico, congratulations. You're getting a first start. You're also playing one of the best defenses in the country. So we're going to find out right away just how good he is. It is a game of styles if you're Tennessee you need to score early because otherwise Iowa will drag you into the mud they love to (laughs) punt play field position and good defense and let me go ahead and warn you their punter Tory Taylor is very good uh he is a weapon on special teams so (laughs) Iowa will play that kind of game where they will just play defense punt the ball and keep backing up Tennessee if Tennessee scores early I think it's going to be tough for Iowa uh, to keep up, even though Tennessee's shorthanded on defense due to some transfers and some some injuries and all that. But excited to see the Nico era at Tennessee and also think that the the styles of these two teams will make a good Citrus Bowl. Yeah, and uh, again, I'm, I'm not asking to sit here and bash any players or anything, Stephen, but I, I'm just curious what, what would be your thoughts on um, on Iowa. Which quarterback do you think they would have preferred to see? Joe Milton? Who they have a season of tape on, or Nico, who seemingly has all the, you know, the uh, talent in the world, but we've not seen it. He's, he's lacking experience. Who, if 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 you were to give them truth serum over there at Iowa, wh- which quarterback do you think they would prefer to see? Man, that's a really good question because I could almost make an argument for both. Because if you're throwing a true freshman quarterback out there against an Iowa defense that can make life very difficult for you. You could probably confuse a young quarterback. I think if I'm Iowa, I would rather play that. But there's also the unknown element, too. Um, There's also the upside. Like, he could just be better having the full bowl practice to get ready. I guess to your point, maybe it is Milton just because he's a proven commodity and you kind of know what to expect. Um, because now I was probably scrambling to get ready for this game because they probably just assumed that Joe Milton uh, was going to play. So I think you can make a pretty convincing case uh, kind of on both sides of that one. Sorry to to give you kind of a wishy-washy answer there. Well, I'm already letting you know, Stephen, when Nico scores four touchdowns against Iowa, I'm pushing Tennessee to that top 10 preseason discussion because the the hype trade is going to be out of this world if he has a great performance in his first career start in Josh Heupel's offense. Uh, speaking of uh, new quarterbacks, Stephen, how about Wisconsin, LSU, and the ReliaQuest Bowl? No surprise, Jaden Daniels not suiting up. But what has surprised me is that seemingly the the entire rest of the LSU roster is suiting up. I think that speaks to uh, to, to Garrett Nussmeyer, and, and and they want him to get off to a good start, and the belief there, and and everything that goes with it. Uh, thoughts on Wisconsin LSU bowl game? I I'm really intrigued by. Um you know, LSU in this game. And I think it kind of gets at what we talked about with Tennessee and Nico is we've seen a lot of Garrett Nussmeyer, but I'm curious to see the development from last year to this year and having the full complement of weapons against a pretty good defense in Wisconsin. Um, it may not be as, as kind of the Wisconsin defense that we may thought we have seen this year, just as a team, I think Wisconsin has probably underachieved, a little bit. They've had a lot of offensive injuries at quarterback and they will not have Braylon Allen, their top running back in this game. So 
Wisconsin's a little bit shorthanded, but to me, it's like finish the deal if you're LSU. Go out, close the season with a strong performance, and go into the offseason with a little bit of momentum. So all eyes on Garrett Nussmeyer, and to your point, excited to see some of those guys like Malik Neighbors and Brian Thomas play uh, one more time for LSU. And I know that this is the silly season, Steven, so I'm just curious to get your thoughts on this, but I don't know how much you've seen of this, but there's like some wild speculation that if Jim Harbaugh leaves for the NFL, Brian Kelly would be Michigan's choice and that he'd be open to it. But it's hard for me to believe, Steven, that Brian Kelly's sitting here twiddling his thumb saying, well, I'll decide my next step based on what this other coaches may or may not do. I, I don't... That may happen behind closed doors with an agent, but the, there's a reason these agents make all this money is because they keep it to themselves and they work it behind the scenes and they're not running it out and giving that to the media because it, it would just muck everything up. Uh, are, are you putting any kind of credence or, or could, or, or basically could you see Brian Kelly leaving LSU for Michigan? What, what just, what's your thoughts on all that? So he was the head coach at um, Grand Valley state. Um, up there uh, a long time ago before he got into the FBS level. So I guess I could see like the sort of return to sort of that big 10 Midwest roots. I mean, LSU is probably a better job than Michigan. I I would think if you wanted to rank all the top, you know, programs in college football, Mm -hmm. there's some smoke, I guess is probably the best way to put it. I would be surprised largely because I think if Jim Harbaugh goes to the NFL, I think Sharon Moore, the offensive coordinator, will probably have first uh, look to be the head coach there. So it's interesting, uh, but I would probably think that Brian Kelly's the head coach at LSU next year. Right, and you just, me personally, Stephen, I would just have no respect for a guy that comes to LSU and has some success. But what did he do when he came down here? He said, I'm here to win an Astro championship, and they haven't sniffed that. And I'm not saying that, uh, you know, if he doesn't win one, he's a complete failure, even though the last three coaches have done it. But, I mean, he's got <laughs> – I don't think you could throw that out there. Otherwise, you're saying, I can't do this. That That's how I would read it. And, and you're right. I don't I don't really care. I, I do think LSU is a better job in, than Michigan based on all the talent surrounding that area. Oh, excuse me. I think it is a better job, but – it, it's a tougher job because because I basically I guess the point I'm trying to make is it's far more conceivable to win a national championship at LSU in my mind than it is at Michigan even though Michigan's knocking on the doorstep of doing it what would it be their first full one in over 50 years yeah. <laughs> while LSU seemingly wins one every five years you know what well also I think when when Brian Kelly came to LSU he sort of em- embraced the challenge of the sec. And I think you saw that like just the schedule. He's like, Hey, bring like sort of paraphrasing, but Hey, bring it on. Like we want to go into the sec and play in all these tough environments. You come here to compete against the best coaches, the best players and in the stadiums and all that. Plus, I mean, LSU has got a ton of, of resources. They can throw everything at winning the national championship to your point. I think there's, there's probably been some criticism in the past that, you know, Michigan may be a little stuck in its ways, I think they've sort of gotten out of that, but I think if I'm a head coach and I get the talent level that Louisiana, Texas, and that surrounding area can can produce, and if I'm Brian Kelly, seeing the success that they've had in the first two years, they have to replace Mike Dimbrock. They've got to fix the defense. Um, 
but I'd be excited about what's going on at LSU for sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, how about uh, Kentucky Clemson in the Gator Bowl? This is another. This is a tough one to figure out. Um, Kentucky's kind of hit a skid here, but they did beat Louisville. I mean, they, when they get up for a game, they they get up for it. Ray Davis playing. Clemson, I, I've kind of lost all faith in Dabo. I don't know about you, but uh, <laughs> what's your thoughts on the Gator Bowl? If, if Clemson wins this game, expect some uh, sort of sweaty Dabo, sweaty, epic, you know, <laughs> press, you know, post-game rant about how no one believed in Clemson, even though they're favored uh, in this game. I think it's a tough matchup, though, for Kentucky because of Clemson's strength on defense, especially along the defensive line. Devin Leary beat uh, Clemson when he was at NC State as the starting quarterback. So this Clemson defense is very good, and I think that's the challenge here for Kentucky is inconsistent passing game. The Kentucky offensive line, probably not a great matchup for Clemson's defensive front. Uh, Clemson's strength on offense is the run game. And if there is a good kind of silver lining for this matchup for Kentucky, the secondary of Kentucky has struggled this year. Clemson inconsistent as a passing team, but very good on the ground. Do you would you buy into the fact at all that Mark Stoops needs this one to kind of, you know, uh, gain even more momentum, particularly after all the A and M, uh, you know, speculation and all that? Just in the way until Louisville, I mean, the 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 second half of the season was just a complete dud uh, for momentum purposes and, and buy in level and all that. Do you, could you could you argue? I mean, because this this would be a big win, I think, for for Stoops to say he's got a win over Clemson. Yeah, absolutely. Um. I don't want to read like too much into bowl game results because of the rosters and right. everything else that's going on. But I think just to, to our earlier point, Kentucky's got a good transfer class coming in. They beat Louisville. They've got the transfer class coming in. Mark Stoops is staying. If you can go out and beat Clemson, you're sort of stacking um, some positive momentum for next season. So, so yeah, I, I, I'll buy that. Okay. Just final three bowl games here, Steven. Uh, I, I'm really excited because I don't know what in the world to expect from Oklahoma in the Alamo Bowl. They're playing Arizona, who, who we got to see SEC fans. They played at Mississippi State, overtime game. They probably should have won that game, multiple turnovers. They caught red hot, uh, you know, at the tail end of the season. You can make the case Mississippi State may have had the best non-conference win of the entire SEC season, as strange as that is. Uh, thoughts on Oklahoma-Arizona with with a lot of change. At Oklahoma, offensive coordinator, quarterback, offensive line. I mean, uh, I, I I get a bad feeling for for Oklahoma in this matchup just due to the the turnover, so to speak. Yeah, I think one of the storylines of this season was how much better Arizona got from last year to this year, and also in season improvement, and two two reasons why. Number one, their defense is a lot better than it was last season. A lot of that is transfer additions. They also switched quarterbacks. Noah Fafita took over the starting job from Jaden Delora. I think Jaden Delora was the starter in that game against Mississippi State. Fafita, is, I think, is a little bit more efficient, probably executes their offense with a little less chaos, probably a little bit more uh, careful with the football. But they have a lot of weapons. And I think that's what makes this game interesting is, you know, just Vegas is telling us that the over-under in this game is 60 points. It's got a feel of like an old, like, holiday bowl. And what I mean is, like, those old, old holiday bowls were high scoring, back and forth, like good quarterbacks, good receivers. I think this Alamo Bowl could be the same way. I don't want to read too much into what happens here, 
But I do think there's a lot of intrigue for me just to see Oklahoma for the for the reasons that you mentioned. Arizona is a high caliber top 25 opponent who's motivated for this game, mostly at full strength, a offense that is capable of putting up 30 or 40 points. How does Oklahoma's defense play in this spot? Also, Jackson Arnold making uh, you know his most extended appearance at Oklahoma in this game with a month to get ready under new offensive coordinator Seth Luttrell. So I, I think just seeing how Oklahoma looks against an opponent that will be very motivated to win this game and with the firepower, and I think even though both defenses are better than they were last year, I do think the offenses and the skill talent in this game could really control it. So I think if you're just looking for entertainment value, I think it's the Alamo Bowl. I think it's going to be pretty fun, a pretty high-scoring game, pretty fun. Yeah, it just hearing you talk, Stephen, you know, we talk Nico, we talk uh, Jalen Milrow and, and, and Jackson Dart, on and on and on. There's hey, Carson Beck announced his, he's coming back. I mean, the SEC, it looks like it could be a banner year in the new six-team team format with uh with these quarterbacks galore, even at even at place like Mississippi State with a, with a new coaching staff, it could be pretty fired up, I think, for improved quarterback play. So, a lot of lot of talented quarterbacks to look forward to in the SEC, and a great preview, like you said, of Jackson Arnold as a starting quarterback for Oklahoma. There's there's I think there's I don't know for a fact, Stephen, but I I think it's very easy to to kind of take a uh you know a, a nine hundred thousand foot view whatever they say whatever that term is but yeah the fact that Dylan Gabriel's not coming back that they must have a, a high level of confidence in Jackson Arnold to lead this program into the SEC so cannot wait to see that now where they don't have as good quarterback play Steve pretty much on both sides of the ball here the uh, Auburn Maryland at the Music City Bowl uh, Talia Tungalvailoa I'm still screwing that up. He's opted out of the bowl. Peyton Thorne, at least, you know, he's playing better uh, as at the tail end of the season here. But what's your thoughts on, on Auburn, Maryland, with uh, one quarterback opting out? This could be another case of kind of who wants to be there. Absolutely. And I think it's a chance for Auburn to close out the season with a little bit of momentum here. Um, they were clearly better under Hugh Freeze this season. Obviously, they had the close calls against Georgia and Alabama. They had the loss to New Mexico State in there too, but if they <laughs> win this game, you know, it's that seventh victory. It'd be a big deal um, for them as they go into the offseason. So I think on paper, where Auburn has the advantage is the line of scrimmage. Maryland struggled offensive and defensive line during the season, they're also missing, you know, Tongo Valoa, as you mentioned, at uh, at quarterback. So they're shorthanded at quarterback. And I think even though Auburn's got some guys who are not going to play on defense, that group being able to control the line of scrimmage, being able to use Peyton Thorne, uh, all the running backs for Auburn, I like their edge at the line of scrimmage in this game. And they've got the better quarterback in Peyton Thorne. So I think this is a chance uh, for Auburn to close out the year on a high note in, in the Music City Bowl. Mm-hmm. And then last, unless hopefully I didn't miss any, Stephen. There's so many games here, but Texas A&M, Oklahoma State in the Texas Bowl. I've seen it reported, Stephen, that the Aggies are down to 55 scholarship players due to guys hitting the portal, coaching change, all that. So it's a little bit of chaos here. But uh, I'm just hoping that this is not one of those. We've had a couple over the years, Stephen, where it's like an SEC team is just devastated with with opt-outs and, and, and 
declarations of the draft and what have you, but uh, that that it's it's an ugly, ugly bowl game. I'm hoping that the Aggies have a little pride. They lost the uh, I don't know if you saw it, Stephen. They lost the they did like some some hay tossing cattle karanging stuff. So they've lost that battle. They got to have some self respect. Show up for this Texas bowl and, and beat the beat the mullet, Mike Gundy here. Absolutely. Um, first of all, I think these are old big 12 rivals getting back together um these of course none of these players were in the big for texas a&m were in the big 12 when they were uh texas a&m was in the big 12 but it's just it's kind of interesting to get those two back together in a bowl game but i think to your point that's sort of the setup for this game is a short-handed texas a&m team going up against an oklahoma state squad that is probably closer to full strength A&M's got the edge in roster talent, but with all the departures and being shorthanded, how does that match up against Oklahoma State that's more at roster strength, but probably not as good overall? Oklahoma State had a weird season. They started 2-2. and They appeared to be just done after they got destroyed by South Alabama in Stillwater. And they regrouped, and they ended up making the Big 12 championship game. But really, the strength of this team is Ollie Gordon at running back. If Texas A&M can slow down Ollie Gordon, they got a good chance to win this game. Oklahoma State's not great on defense. Their passing game has been inconsistent. So really, it's about slowing down Ollie Gordon. On paper, A&M with all those guys during the regular season looked like it would be a pretty easy assignment here. Uh, so we'll have to see what the the situation looks like on defense now with, with it being shorthanded. So, uh, but could be another great chance two for Jalen Henderson to showcase what he's got for next season uh, to make it an interesting quarterback battle uh, with Connor uh, Wigman, but pride I think is probably the best way to put it. If you're A&M, you're shorthanded, go in there and fight in the Texas bowl. And if they win this one, um, that's a good uh, statement for the program being shorthanded. Right. And I'm glad you hit on uh, Jalen Henderson, Steven, because I've been wildly impressed. I didn't even know who he was till A&M signed him. And still, I, you know, it was hard to find any kind of footage on him, but he has he has kind of blown me away with just just the his intensity and what he's brought to this team. They seem to be fully bought in on him. Just uh, recently, he said, "Hey, I'm coming back for another season." I, I think he had a just an extra year of eligibility that due to COVID and all that. So uh, you, you're right. I mean, he's got something to, to fight for, and I'm sure everybody, you know, that, that we want Connor Wigman back. We want him back at full strength. He's got unlimited potential. But this is a new coaching staff, Stephen. They they owe nothing to Connor Wigman. They know they owe nothing to Jalen Henderson. Let these guys compete, battle it out. And I mean, it wouldn't be the first time a touted quarterback lost out to a to a guy that that came with no fanfare. And I mean, just look at national champion Georgia Bulldogs. I mean, how many times did they try to unseat Stetson Bennett? Yet it it, it was Stetson Bennett that led them to glory. So I'm not you know it's not not a perfect comparison, but. Uh, new coaching staff is going to be loyal to the best players. So a lot to, to gain here from Jalen Henderson, and and he's one I'm I'm not ready to write off for next season. Absolutely. Uh, I, I think, first of all, I have a ton of confidence in Colin Klein, the new offensive coordinator at Texas A&M, that whether it is Connor Wigman or Jalen Henderson, their offense is going to be very good next year. But also I think – Henderson's emergence this year sort of underscores you have to have some depth at quarterback, and it's hard to keep that in the transfer portal era. 
But what if Connor Wigman gets hurt in the second game of the season next year and you could turn to Jalen Henderson? It's not a concern. Like you, you, you could feel pretty good if you're AM about throwing him out there uh next year. So I think if you're AM, I think Connor Wigman's the guy, but also I think that this is a good problem. If Henderson makes this a battle next year, plays well in this game, that continues to the offseason. I mean, that's a good problem for AM to have, to have two good quarterbacks competing for the starting job. And if nothing else, you have somebody that is depth in case of injury, um, and it's hard to keep that in the transfer portal era. Right, and I'm just sitting here thinking, Stephen, some of the promising coaches in the SEC, Lane Kiffin, Josh Heupel, Eli Drinkwitz, all these guys, they played multiple quarterbacks their first season, you know, trying to trying to figure out who's the right piece and, and some due to injury and what, what have you, but... Mike Elko, Colin Klein, they're going to have to, you know, they're going to have to figure that out next season. And and, and Connor Wigman and Jalen Henderson are so, uh, you know, uh, different from one another skill set wise. It may suit the Aggies to play both next season in di- in different roles. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I mean, again, here we, here we are, Stephen. We got a game tonight, and I'm I'm fast forwarding to 2024 already. You know what? <laughs> <laughs> hey, that's that's kind of the part of the the off. The, I guess it's the off season uh, starting for college football at some point here. But it is interesting that all these rosters are sort of under construction. Uh, like even right before the game, there are guys who <laughs> entered the portal but are still playing for their team. Um, there are you know we're looking ahead to twenty twenty four because there are players playing other bowl games that are going to be transferring to different teams by next week. So. It's just a fascinating time. Like all these rosters are under construction and we're starting to think ahead to next year because really I like, I love bowl games, but there's like a lot of this is just like kind of preseason football at this point because of how the rosters are. But that's all. Does not mean that we can't take away something? Uh, whether it's a new player stepping up, whether it's a quarterback performance. Um, I think there's plenty of reason to tune in and care about these games, even if maybe they aren't like they were 20 years ago. Right. Well, Stephen, uh, I can't thank you enough for for taking time out of your busy schedule to join us, preview these bold matchups. Uh, before you go, can you tell the audience where can they follow you? Where can they find your work? Absolutely. So, first of all, apologies for playing hurt today. Uh, the the, the uh, it's been a very interesting couple of weeks in the last household here. Now I'm sick, so I apologize uh, to all your great listeners for for putting you through that. You can follow me on Twitter at Athlon Steven. You can also check out my work on, on YouTube at all CFB365. You can follow me on uh, Instagram, TikTok, Facebook at Stephen L. CFB. All right, Stephen, I, I can't, again, I can't thank you enough. Enjoy the bowl games, playoff games, transfer portal, coaching change. What else can we throw on top of this? I hope you feel better, and uh, I hope you can get some work done. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, man. I look forward to talking to you soon, and uh, most importantly, enjoy the playoff games. Hopefully we get uh, two close games once again, and uh, look forward to breaking it all down again next week. Hey, buddy, this beer's for you, Mike, and Cousin Shane. That SEC podcast loves the Pirate, and the Pirate loves that SEC podcast. Hail State.